I'll rip your arm off. You what? Get your ass back home, get in the gym, and figure out what the hell you're doing wrong. Why's it called the five-point move? I'm frustrated with the way our Greco guys in the United States are treated because they are good athletes, they are good human beings that, that want to win. we got to help them get there. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Five Point Move podcast. I'm Tim Hans, founder and senior editor of FivePointMove.com, and I'm also alone. Alone. It's almost episode 22 and a half. Uh, that's because Dennis Hall is not here. Paul Telgren is not here. Wildman Sam, Sammy Jones, who co-hosted episode 22, is not here. It's a solo show. There are no guests. It's going to be a short one, people. And the reason why is because I arrived in North Carolina not too long ago. And it's not its not such a story of disorganization so much as we were going to wait to just do a, you know, a, a massive post-trial show. And I, I decided that I, I thought it was a good idea to get something out before then. And it's, you know, and you have to understand that this is all, I mean, I don't want to say it's begrudging, but I don't like doing the, the multimedia stuff. I, I don't love talking. I mean, you people don't know how hard I had to crack through the shell in order to be able to do what I do. It's like, what is, what is that line I always use? You, you get a writing degree so you don't have to talk. Anyway, that's not the point. Uh, yes, yeah, so we're going to just cover a few of the weight classes, uh, some of what's going on with Five Point Move and you know stuff regarding that that you might have become aware of recently. And I don't know, we'll just wrap her up and that'll be it. So what do we want to start with? Well, we could start with the trip to North Carolina itself, which was, uh, you know, I mean, not a catastrophe because I got here. Everybody has travel stories, and it, uh, and I don't travel a ton either. Uh, I mean, I've traveled a good amount in my life, but certainly not as much as others, not as much as athletes who you know fly all over the place. Linland, who I, I mean, I don't even know how he does it, go through however many time zones all the t- you know all throughout the year, just not stationary too often. But no, so yeah, okay, why not? You know, I don't got any guests. Um, it's really late. I'm exhausted. I'm loopy. Probably going to say a bunch of dumb shit, but we'll go with it. Uh, yeah, so getting to North Carolina, I live in I live at the Jersey Shore, and I flew to Raleigh, North Carolina from Trenton, New Jersey, the state capital. And I had never been to the Trenton airport previously. So here's what happened. What happened is, is that I thought I had everything locked down. I thought I was, you know, I'm pretty meticulous. I'm pretty organized when it comes to having to travel and having to fly, especially. I thought I was set. You know, my wife, uh, you know, she reminded me. She said, you know, my flight was at a little, it was supposed to be a little after six. And she said, well, the gate's going to close at 530. Okay, well, I mean, that's a harrowing thing to say, but uh, I, I felt I, I felt it was, uh, you know, it was, not a, it was a non-point. And she goes, she takes my daughter, my daughter's seven, she went, she's getting, she went to go pick up her glasses for the first time. My daughter has an astigmatism, if you uh, need to know that. And so I get out, I, I start, you know, I f- put a couple of bags in the car, I run back in, and then I realize I don't, 
I can't find my phone. I don't know where it is. I, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to say panicked, but I'll say that I was looking for it long enough to where I considered just driving to Trenton airport without it. That was where I, that's, that's the point I had reached. I was like, okay, well, you know what? I'm just not going to have a phone for the next three days and four days, whatever. And life will go on for sure. And I'm not saying that to sound like a, some kind of hard ass, some kind of alpha. I don't need a phone. I don't need a phone. No, I mean, I look with five point. I need my phone because of five point. I need my phone because of my career outside of five point. I could use my phone, (laughs) but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so busy these next few days. It's not like I'm going to be tooling around on golf clash. Right. So anyway, uh, I was going to leave and, Lo and behold, it was actually on the uh, passenger, uh, the passenger seat, passenger front seat. It was there. I have twelve minutes looking for it. There it was, and that held me back. I didn't leave on time as it was, and uh, it was a race. And I got to Trenton Airport at five oh something or another. Got through TSA. At 520 something, and I'm like, oh, the gate's gonna close in just a few minutes. And no, 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 no. The gate didn't close. No. How could it? First off, there's only two gates at the Trenton Airport. Little factoid for you. Why is this shutting off on me? Yeah, no, there's only two gates. No, and plus the plane was delayed for an hour and a half. So there was no worry. <laughs> there was no worry about it. And then the uh, silver lining to all of this, I mean, if you if it is a silver lining situation, is that I was uh, I was hungry a little bit uh, when the once the plane landed. I was hungry. Uh, I wouldn't go and be dramatic and say starving, but I was hungry. I hadn't had coffee either since the morning, and I, I kind of wanted some coffee. And I was like, oh, you know, it'd be great. It'd be great if I found some place in the area near the hotel that like meets these desires. But I wasn't expecting it, and I don't know the area here very well, despite the fact that my brother is a sheriff's officer about 15 minutes away. And so what happens is I get picked up by the Uber from the Raleigh-Durham airport. Oh, this is after we, this is after the gate to arrive at Raleigh-Durham airport was occupied, and we were stuck inside the aircraft for 45 extra minutes after landing. But that's here. Anyway, let's go. Let's go, Tim. So we get to, you know, get in the Uber and he's driving. It was like a 15, 20 minute drive or whatever it was from the airport. And the Uber driver goes and he takes this weird turn and gets like he gets. I don't know what he was doing, but he turned into like this little parking lot. And there was it didn't seem like there was anything around for a second there. And I'm I'm in the backseat going, is he going to try to kill me? So anyhow, um, he he drives another, I don't know, 50 feet. And I see a Waffle House. I was like, he's pulling into Waffle House? I didn't say shit to him. I didn't say I was hungry or anything like that. I was like, is is this guy psychic or something? Clairvoyant? Whatever? ESP? What's his story? But no, it turns out that the hotel I'm staying at is right next door to the Waffle House. So that's... Amazing. Amazing. I'm from New Jersey. We don't have Waffle House in New Jersey. Not that I know of. The last time I had been to a Waffle House was 
uh, nearly two decades ago, 15, 18 years ago. I don't know. And so I'm all pumped up. I get, I check in and I come up to the room. I don't call my wife first over this. I had talked to her, you know, briefly after I landed and all that stuff. I love you. Love you. Love you. Yep. We're alive. Fantastic. Uh, no. First person I call is Nate Engel. Reason I call Nate Engel is because I know that he's staying either at my hotel or the one next door to it, or I, I, I'm not sure, but I, you can, I, I know he's right here, and I, so I immediately call him, and I leave him a voicemail, and you know, because Nate doesn't pick up, and he's out to dinner with his wife for their anniversary, which is I, you know, which he's not around for this week because he'll be here in North Carolina anyway. Yeah, it sounds like Nate's all in. I'm all in on the Waffle House. I was pumped up. I got a coffee. I got two eggs. I got hash browns uh, covered. Covered. Yeah, it was it was awesome. It was awesome. So that had me in a good mood. I'm still in a good mood. I'm dead exhausted, but I'm in a good mood about it. And I'm also in a good mood about the World Team Trials. What I'm not in a good mood about is that John Anderson will not be competing by the time this podcast is released. That news should be out. Uh, John Anderson will not be competing uh, on Friday in the 87-kilogram weight class, multi-time trials finalist and national team member and everything else that goes along with that. Uh, Anderson has another Army assignment. I mean, he'll be in the country this time. He's not going on deployment, but he'll be at Fort Knox, Kentucky from June till August. He won't be able to compete the Final 10 series if he were to win the challenge tournament on Saturday and as such he wouldn't be able to train for the world championships as well so he has to uh he has had to withdraw his hat from the proverbial ring and uh yeah 87 takes a little bit of a hit that way and it sucks it sucks when one of the best athletes in his weight class can't compete anytime that happens it sucks it doesn't matter if it's a trials tournament. You know, whatever tournament we're talking about, especially a trials tournament, sucks. And it sucks even more because Anderson couldn't compete in the trials last year because why? He was in Afghanistan for crying out freaking loud. So, yeah, uh, that would have been great because there were uh, the 2019 version of Anderson I wanted to see. Bear of a weight class. Patrick Martinez. Jeez. Ben Provisor. Souza coming up. Barrett Stanghill. You know, Von Monreal Burner from the Marines, everybody's got their head in the sand. They're not paying attention to him. He's been, he's got age group experience. He's, you know, he's developing as a senior. Who knows? I mean, it's just a, imagine what this weight class is going to look like in 2020 with Alan Vera and Jake Clark. If you've read the Jake Clark interview, I hope you all have. With Jake Clark involved. I mean, I hate to look ahead. We should be focusing on the present. 87 kilos, even in 2019, is fantastic. You know that whomever comes out of this thing and goes to the final 10 at Rutgers and faces Joe Rao, you know it's going to be awesome. But 2020, just hear this out for a second. So if Anderson is... But let's go ahead and figure that Anderson will be at the World Team Trials, uh, Olympic Trials, next April at Penn State. So you would have Provisor, Martinez... Rao, Stanghill, Souza, Jake Clark, Alan Vera. So that's Provisor, Martinez, Rao, Stanghill, Souza, Clark, Vera. That's seven guys. Right off the bat, that quarterfinal is a freaking shark tank. Anyway, so yeah, that's where my mind goes when, uh, you know, it's extraordinarily late. 87, 
depth wise obviously takes a little hit still still a fantastic weight still a stacked weight and then you got 55 55 kilos a lot of people aren't you know aren't as uh you know i think most of the hardcores the hardcores are more concerned with the lightweights this year whereas i think the mainstreamers are more into the upper weights and i think some years that flip-flops uh, 55 kilograms, not Olympic weight class. Unfortunately, makes no sense that we have non Olympic. Well, I mean, I know why we do. I know why we have non Olympic weight classes. It sucks that it's a reality, but I mean, I, I I get why they I get why they have them. 55 kilograms. I mean, I asked Spencer Mango in the uh, last Welcome to Fort Greco, uh, Fort Greco Army W Cap report. You know, just about 55. What he thought? He he thought it was coming up. He thought it's starting to come up this year, and I, I agree with him. And Dalton Duffield is an extraordinarily gifted. Uh, did I use extraordinarily again? Yeah, I did. See, tired, redundancies, repetitiveness. Uh, yeah, Dalton Duffield just. What a fantastic athlete, uh, just an amazing competitor, two-time Fargo champion, an awesome high school wrestler, and went to uh, went the college route, went the college route and started over in Greco at Northern Michigan last year, and right off the bat, he won the U23 trials and made national team a few, months, a few weeks later in Tulsa, you know, and he just took second to Max Nowry at the Open. He's a severe talent. Who's going to press him? Who's going to step up in this tournament and press him? You know, and before the final, who? You have some candidates. You got Jamon Carter from the Marines, who I picked as the sleeper of the weight class. I don't know how the seating is going to shake out. You know, you figure it goes kind of by the Open uh, order, the order at the Open, you know, from, well, in this case, two through whatever and whoever else is qualified but uh jamon carter ibrahim banduka i who i thought a lot of us were like behind the scenes just blown away by him jabari moody sean sesnan it's just uh yeah a great weight class and there's there's others right there are others 63 you look at 63 for crying out loud another non-olympic weight class that has a chance to steal the entire show here the challenge tournament. Fielke, Xavier Johnson, Wildman Sam, Sammy Jones, Travis Rice. I mean, that's a sick group. 60 kilos. You know, we talked about this in the last Coach Lindland's report. Uh, thing about 60 kilos is there's amongst the, 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 the t- you know, who you deem to be the top of the field, whether, you know, in whatever order, Taylor Lamont, Dalton Roberts, Eldar Haffey's off, and Ren and Miranda. Oof. They've all practically beaten each other. How do you figure that out? They've all beaten each other. At some point, maybe one guy has a couple of wins in a row over another, but yeah, 60. That semifinal at 60 is going to be insane. It's going to be insane. It'll probably be the most, it might be, it might very well be the most watched pair of semifinals in the entire tournament. It might be. Just too much, just too much going on. 77 kilos is fantastic. Is it, is it the deepest weight in American Greco? I don't think it is. I think 87 is in terms of credentials, resume stuff. But even if 77 is right there, I think people want to see Mason Manville and Patrick Smith mix it up again. It's a good chance that happens, but not a, you know, I, I don't think you could say that's a high probability. You know, not in a weight class where there's Peyton Walsh, Jesse Porter, Corey Hope. Corey Hope was the one who I identified as a sleeper, and here's why. The reason why I identified we have discussions over these things. It's, I mean, are there times where it's unilateral and I just input stuff? Yeah, 
But Courtney Hope was a slam dunk. And the reason why is because in 2016, Corey Hope, I mean, you got to remember, the Hope brothers, Corey Hope, he's been in the sport for a while, long time. But in 2016, he started really kind of coming on a little bit. He started doing, he started winning matches he should win. In other sports, that doesn't sound like a big deal. In Greco-Roman wrestling, that's, that's a big deal, especially for athletes who develop at different paces. When a guy starts beating the guys he probably should, that consistency, that consistency matters. Huge. And what did Corey Hope do? Well, he won the Schultz tournament and he barely missed out on national team at the Olympic trials. And then he was off the mat for what? 16 months, a year and a half, something like that, over a year and a half. And he went in a couple of tournaments in late 17 overseas. Then that was it. So when he competed at the Open in April, in, well, in April, in April, just a few weeks ago, that was his first domestic tournament in three years, over three years. Not to mention his first competition period since December of 2017. And he was tough, extremely tough. And who did he lose to? He lost to Patrick Smith and Mason Manville. He lost to Pat Smith on criteria. No, he lost to Pat Smith 2-1 to one in a badly officiated match. Certainly no offense to Mr. Smith. It was just a badly officiated match. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that Patrick Smith deserved to be called pass. I don't know how you call either Patrick Smith or Cordy Hope passive ever. And that's why you have to understand that passivity is not as much of a penalty as it is intended to be. A Well, I shouldn't say that. Maybe when if you believe in the idea that in certain cases refs are trying to pick winners, I mean, but it's m- more intended to be like, you know, a match stimulator, action stimulator or whatever. But it, it's weaponized. I think I mean, we all we all know that. Um, not that I think it wasn't the case of Smith first hope, but it was just a, a referee who didn't know what the heck he was doing anyway. So yeah, Corey hope drops a close match. to Pat Smith drops a close match to Mason Mandel in the third place bout. He's had a few weeks to adjust. I mean, could Corey hope go on a run here? Yeah, absolutely. I think he could, uh, nevertheless, whomever, you know, whatever amalgamation of these awesome guys, you know, Peyton Walsh, Patrick Smith, Mason Manville. I mean, just to, you look at him, it's just, we got some, some severe talent. I like using the word severe and talent together. If you're familiar with my writing, I just like it. I like the way it sounds. Anyhow, 82 kilograms, another non-Olympic weight class and an awesome weight class. I think I think the consensus is Cheney Haight and John Stefanowitz go ahead and find a way to bang heads. Um, maybe that happens. They on a collision course, I think that would be the popular opinion. And But you look at Spencer Woods, ah, what he can do, Chandler Rogers, Andrew Berryessa, Carter Nielsen, Terrence Zaleski, Vlad Dombrovsky. It's going to be a fun wait to watch. Fun wait to watch. And then you skip, you skip all the way to heavyweight. And Robbie Smith is the story. He's the story probably, if not of the entire tournament, certainly at certainly at 130 kilograms. That is no slight to anyone else. That is certainly not a slight to Toby Erickson or Open Champ J- Jacob Mitchell or to anybody else. It's just we're talking about an Olympian and, you know, three or four time world team member. I don't know. That's going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting. We haven't seen Robbie in domestic action this year yet. It's going to be something. 
it's going to be something. It's, a, it's to see him, how he handles it, how he reacts to the environment, to see a guy like that with that kind of stature. Very compelling stuff. It is. It's compelling. Robbie Smith is the story because he, the perception is that he is more vulnerable now than at any other point over the past six, seven years. That's the perception. That's because the losses to Kuhn from last year's trial are too fresh in the American audience's minds, in their collective minds. I think that's the case. Unless you're a hardcore and you paid attention to the Hungarian Grand Prix or the fact that Smith took third at Palasalu, you're probably under the line of thinking that he's in position to get knocked off here. I think you'll be able to tell early on if he has it or not. That's my feeling on it. You got Colton Schultz entering the tournament. Colton Schultz, I don't care how young he is, he's immediately, immediately a contender. He's somebody who could do something here. I think so. He's going to eat. Look, he's going to have a good showing one way or the other. That doesn't necessarily mean he wins or gets uh, national team honors or something like that, but he's he's going to put forth a strong, strong effort. And that's important because he's a very big piece of the future of heavyweight in our country. He's a very big piece of the future for the program in general. There are a lot of different directions you can go with 130. And just really with a lot of these weight classes, period, 67 67 we didn't really touch on yet, so we'll run through that real quick. Tuma, Johnson, Morrow, 2, 3, and 4 at the U.S. Open last month. Jesse Williams, the 2018 U.S. Open runner-up, didn't have a good national tournament last month. I have a hard time believing that he's not going to be in North Carolina, a different dude. Just It's hard for me to believe. He's been around too long. He's too good. Yeah, Jared Verkleeren, who came over to Greco, Penn State guy, took fifth. Clearly a prospect if he sticks with this style. Clearly. Clearly. has the, He has the idea. Just doesn't stop battling. You're willing to humble yourself a little bit. And I know Verklaren's a cadet world champion, but you're willing to humble yourself a little bit. Apply your trade leading up to the Open. If you're a folk-style, freestyle guy coming over and you adhere to that approach... And you're willing to stick with it. Good things probably happen, as we've seen historically. So there's a there's a lot of stuff to look forward to on Friday. Certainly just as much so, if not more, on Saturday. Hopefully these final series get a lot of attention. Let's give a shout out to Flow Wrestling. Because of Flow Wrestling, there has been more Greco-Roman material available for these big national events than ever before. Five Point Move's mission is to create exposure for United States Greco-Roman athletes. And I think a lot of people misunderstand what Five Point's about. Five Point Move is not simply about building Greco, building Greco, building Greco. The main goal of Five Point is to create exposure for the athletes, create awareness. The byproduct of doing that is it creates awareness and excitement for the sport itself. And the fact that there's more coverage 
accessible, hopefully high quality, I'd like to think you find it high quality, is crucial to the health and future of American Greco. So that's, so that's where I run with it these days. Busy days. Very, very busy days. You also have the Sasari City Ranking Series Tournament next week, next weekend. We'll probably talk about that in the post-trials edition, but we only have one American going in it. That's uh, Hancock. Tracy Angelo Hancock. That's it. It was supposed to be Max Nary, Ellis Coleman, and Hancock. Instead, it's just Hancock. Either way, there'll be coverage for that that you can sink your teeth into. And you figure if Hancock goes ahead and gets himself on the podium, boosts his point count a little bit, does that lock him in at three or at least top four for the Worlds? I would think it. I, I would think almost assuredly it does. Then again, on the last podcast we talked about how <laughs> you know the ranking series points in terms of their uh, relationship to the scening is nearly immaterial, irrelevant. It's what's going to happen in the worlds is going to happen. You just see the kind of momentum Hancock has had throughout the season. If he should emerge victorious at the final ten series, having a top four spot would be a very good idea. I would tend to think so. All right, that's a good place to start wrapping it up. So if you would, I don't know why I'm going to do this, but I'll do it. I'll do it just because it's ritual and you, I'm somebody who adheres to rituals. If you would like to follow Dennis Hall on Twitter, if you would like to go ahead, click follow for no reason on Twitter, you can do so at Dennis Hall WGW. And as always, for USA Greco-Roman news and athlete perspectives, go to fivepointmove.com and to follow along on Twitter at 5PTMove. That's it for episode 23, everybody. Enjoy the trials, and we'll see you soon. This show is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com.